Hey everybody, just wanted to take a few seconds of your time before the podcast starts. Just wanted to let you know about a passion project of mine for the last three years called Hustle Focused Energy. It's a powdered drink mix intended to help you focus and accomplish your goals. Super excited to bring this to market. Go check it out, hustletheday.com. And thank you so much for listening. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I'm very fortunate to have Tony Watley on the show. Tony is a business owner, business coach, author, and podcast host, and he has been nicknamed the Side Hustle Millionaire because he took a company with just one hour a day into a multi-million dollar exit. Super fascinating stories, lots of takeaways. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. Super honored to have Tony Watley here today. Tony is somebody I've looked up to for a while. Why don't you jump in here, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Man, that's a short intro, but I could fill the gap. So here it goes. Let's see. <laughs> I've been a business owner for about 20 years now. Started my first one LLC in 2001. It grew to 300,000 registered members. It was an online automotive community. I was able to take that same business model and go build an online truck community and grew that one to over 200,000 members. At the time, we had about 150,000 or actually 150 advertising accounts. So I was making most of my revenue from advertising for the manufacturers, the performance car shops, and all the parts manufacturers as well. So that company grew and grew and grew, made multiple seven figures, and we ended up selling it for a couple million in 2007. And all of that was done in my spare time. And I still had a full-time job in oil and gas engineering career at the same time. And in fact, I didn't even leave that career until 2015. So that's why they called me the side hustle millionaires, because I made millions of dollars while I owned the companies and while I sold the companies. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I love your story. Um, you've got a book out about, you know, called Side Hustle Millionaire um, that I highly recommend to people. But uh, take it back a little bit in terms of, you know, you had this career in the oil and gas industry. You um, you kind of went through college to get this engineering degree. And then what made you think, hey, I need to start a side hustle. I need to, I've got this idea. What, how did that all happen? I think like most people growing up, lower middle class, middle class, we are all misled to believe that we need to be to the race of six figure income. And I get that the average household income in the United States right now is about 68,000. That's even combined with marriage. And some people will never achieve six figures. My mom never achieved six figures in her career. So I understand that it's a goal for most people. And that's the goal that I initially was born with and was raised with. And was led to believe that you need to go become a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer. And that's the things I had to think about. It's like, well, I'm not really interested in medical profession and I'm not interested in the law side. So I guess I'll figure out some engineering that I can go do. But I'm a car guy at heart, love to build and race cars. So I figured mechanical engineering so I could learn about car stuff would be the great you know, path to go on. And that's what I did. I put myself through school. I was working in construction and the chemical refineries here in the Houston area, age 18. It took me seven years to go through college paying for it myself because I would go to school and take about two to three classes per semester. 
And finally, I got that and I basically got the engineering degree and I was working full time at my engineering job and entry level salary. And I found that I had a lot of extra time left on my hands because when you do the, the hustle and grind for seven years, working full time, two jobs, I was waiting tables on the weekends as well. And basically going to school, when you get off and you have a 40 hour work week, that feels like a part time job to me. You know, it still does to this day. So I was thinking, well, I could go to the bars and do stupid things like most single men do, or I can go create something. And I always wanted to be in the automotive industry. So rather than go join that because I was highly paid in the oil industry, I just created businesses in the car space because that's the place that I have a lot of passion for. And you know, when I actually started that first company, it was really just to earn $500 a month because that was the car note of the Trans Am I was driving that I bought myself when I graduated college. So when you think about that, I was really thinking really small. It was like a hobby business that I created, but it just grew and grew and grew because of the things that we did and treated it like an actual business. Yeah, that is awesome. So, you know, that's something that we have in common. You know, my passion is automotive as well. And, you know, that's something we also have in common is we're both Viper owners. And so, you know, we, we like our cars, but you know, I've tried my hand at, uh, you know, some automotive related businesses, you know, I've done parts distribution and things like that. And I, looking back, I, I understand why those didn't work out now. What made it, made it go from being this small idea to grow, growing to a big idea to you understanding that you can make this happen with a smaller time commitment than most people put towards their, their goals and commitments. I think the key to making my business, the first business I started grow was that we identified what was in the market that was already existing, which was other forums. We were all members of another forum that was being mismanaged. Okay. It was the top, top forum in the General Motors niche that we were hanging out on in 1998 to 2000. And it was being mismanaged. And the owner would basically, sometimes you go in to log in and the entire site would be gone. It would just disappeared. And we're like, well, maybe the domain's wrong or what? But it come to find out he wasn't paying his server hosting bills. So after they did that a few times, they would just hard delete his entire website, make him start over. And the idiot didn't do any backups. So all the content that we were creating, all the how-to articles, all the racing videos, and all the things that we were making for his website would just get hard deleted. And it started to piss us off after a while because we were the biggest fans of the website. And so when we approached the owner and said, hey, why don't you pay your bills? We see you have advertisers. We know what they pay per month. We know what a server costs per month. It's actually a very low percentage of what you're making. And you know we're doing all the stuff for you and you keep deleting it. So you're not taking care of the information that we're creating for you. And basically, instead of taking that as constructive feedback from his biggest supporters, he said, well, if you think you could do a better job, go create your own website. So that's what we did. You don't tell people who are driven like me and the business partner I started with to go create your own website if we're supporting your thing. So that's something to really think about. You don't have to be super creative and think that you need to be an inventor because most people think like, oh, I need to be an inventor and invent something. It's not true. Most businesses are really just something that's existing that they do a little bit better or a little bit different. So what is it that annoys you about things that are currently existing on the market or services that exist? And what are the small things you can do to change to improve those things you might have a viable business at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I can think of multiple examples within the automotive community of, you know, dominant players now that, uh, 
you know, were unheard of just because they tweaked those little things. Um, so you're, you're saying that, you know, you basically saw the opportunity on something that you were already doing, already enjoying, and you found a way to improve it. How do you get it to the point where you can manage this, manage your uh, nine to five job and do so with, you know, an hour a day? I think nowadays it's a lot easier than the early 2000s because information back then wasn't on Google and easily found. There was no YouTube at the time. Facebook didn't exist. Actually, no social media has existed. So there was a very, very small places to find resources for the information. And I found that in books. So sometimes people will ask me like, what's the most impactful book you've ever read, Tony? And I'll go pull a book off the shelf from 1998 that says learning how to code HTML which is the backbone of websites, because I said, okay, I'm kind of a graphic dude. I like aesthetics and I want to learn how to put something on a screen of a computer. So I went and bought that book and I taught myself Photoshop, became a little graphic illustrator, like rudimentary stuff at the time and learned HTML coding at a very basic level to be able to create these simple websites, these one to three page websites. And that's the, really the basis that I had to do things is like, I went to find the information and I'd read it and I'd practice it. And that circle just keeps going around and around and around. So yeah, a book from you know late 90s about coding really simple HTML changed my life because literally that made me millions of dollars learning that skill. Because at the time, a lot of people didn't really do that kind of stuff. And my first side business was actually building these one to three page websites for all these automotive parts companies and, and speed shops and things like that, because they didn't have a website at the time. And I would just trade them parts a lot of times, dude. So I was racing cars, building cars, and I was getting free parts and hookups and just exchanging. I was bartering mostly. And then the community thing came a little bit later, like a couple of years later. So you think about these things, it's like, how do you make money? It's like, do what other people are not willing to do or figure out a skill that can be monetized. And there's a lot of those out there. And it's never been easier to find information to get the head. But problem is, is most people just make excuses. They tell you things like, I don't have time. And, you know, I got a family and that's all bullshit because we all think about that. There's highly, highly successful people out there with more kids than you and bigger families than you and more obligations than you. And maybe even have health and physical challenges or disabilities. And you're still kicking the shit out of success. And you're over here sitting there thinking like, well, I got a job and I, I don't have time to do this. Like it's all bullshit because just like fitness or business, we make time for what matters in our life. Absolutely. I mean, you think you said, you know, people that have more kids, you know, I, I sometimes use the excuse of, hey, you know, I've got three kids and it takes a lot of time to do that. But, you know, we have a mutual acquaintance, uh, Miguel Garcia, who has 15 kids and right. has started, you know, nine businesses and exited six of them. And like, I mean, it's just incredible. You make time for what you is really important to you. That's absolutely correct. That's right. A lot, a lot of people make time for Netflix and Facebook. Yep. Yep. For sure. And I've, I've talked with uh, somebody recently earlier this week that, you know, they're, they're an author and they're writing, you know, seven books a year on top of a full-time job on top of law school and all these different things. And, you know, I asked him like, what, where do you find the time for this? He's like, I, this is what it is. This is what it is. You know, I don't do video games. I don't do Netflix. I don't do anything. I, and he has a family as well. He's like, mm -hmm. I'm with my kids. I'm with my kids. If I'm working on my business, I'm working on my business and that's it. I don't have time for anything else. I think that's key is like 
so you start off as a solopreneur, most people, okay? We, we learn some skills, we start to apply them, we start to get little results. And if you want to grow your company to seven plus figures, you can't do it by yourself. You could probably make it to about 3 million revenue by yourself. That's my based in my experience and also working with my own coaching clients. But beyond that, you need to be able to have the right processes and systems to be able to scale and teach other people how to do that. So for me, I was initially the one setting up the servers and updating the software and creating the graphic design and building the websites. And eventually, I, it started to become a burden and I had enough income coming in that I could hire somebody else part-time to do that stuff. So that's what we did is we basically found a contractor that we could 1099 each year and paid them an hourly rate to do things. And they made sure all the integrity of the server was there and the securities and the software updates. And I would still do graphic design because I enjoyed doing that. I, I just what I like to do. And so when you think about that is you start to grow your team. And we had a team of about 75 people that were freelancers that we would give cook, you know, hookups on parts or discounts and pay them for little services here and there and give them referral business. So we built a team of just a, a massive team, really didn't think about that to manage for very little money because they wanted to be involved in what we were building. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know what? It's it's very inexpensive in a way to um, hire somebody in the fact that you frees up so much of your time to do things that you're best at, the things that you're most capable of. Because, I mean, you're great at graphic design, but if you put me in a graphic design situation, it's going to take me three times as long for half the quality. I mean, that's just what it is because that's, that's not my strong suit. Whereas if I hired you, you know what, it could be done that quickly and done uh, to a higher standard than I would be able to do. And that's going to help grow your business. That's right. I think a lot of people focus on saying things like I can't afford to hire somebody they don't have the right mindset because they're basically overpaying themselves to be mediocre at skills that they're not good at, which they're highly paid at. Because if you're a, a founder or a CEO and you're not paying yourself at least $100 an hour, that covers a whole lot of skill sets. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things you can pay for $100 an hour that are way better than you, way faster than you. And those are the people that you should be paying to do that because you need to go be focused on CEO and owner type tasks, not the rudimentary administrative type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And you know what, that's, you're speaking directly to me being a solopreneur, I need to be, you know, outsourcing some of these things so that I can be more focused on the things that I'm best at. That's it. Um, so a lot of people nowadays, you know, <laughs> you're being your business coach, you're a mentor to several people. The, the question is, who was your first mentor? I would say my first mentor were the stack of books and the other books you don't see behind me on my shelf because that's what I've always done. Even as a kid, I've always loved business and I've always liked cars. So I would go to the the grocery store with my mom and I would go to the magazine rack and I would read Hot Rod magazines and I would read Entrepreneur and Forbes and try to figure out what was going on in that. But I was always fascinated by business and cars and that led to books and I've been reading books and personal development books since I was a teenager and just always thinking like, what is possible? What is possible? So I've always been feeding my knowledge with books. So honestly, the first paid coach I would say that I worked with was Lewis Howes. And then later on, it was Ed Milet and Andy Frizzella and the RTA Syndicate. So I haven't had too many paid mentors and I didn't have a lot of, I was the first one in my family to go to college. I didn't have any successful people in my family. 
the air quotes wealthiest person in my family was my uncle Hollis that had a double wide trailer on three acres of property. And we thought he was rich. So when you start to think about that, I didn't grow up around with anybody with any money and sharing tips or I always thought that you had to be rich to become a business owner. You had to be have money to make money because we hear these stupid fallacies that are perpetuated endlessly. Like you got to have money to make money and it's just all bullshit. But that, if that's what you're conditioned to believe, you have no reason to doubt that. And so you carry that through your young adult life and you start to surround yourself with people actually doing things, sharing information. Nowadays, there's so many of us sharing information that it becomes overwhelmed because you don't know where to start. You think you need to have all these silver bullets and magic potions and elixirs and you're trying to figure all this stuff out and trying to do too much at once, really. And that's where most people fail right now is they're over and, and done inundated in information. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that has made you you know, the side hustle millionaire is building communities and you know what you you're cultivating that now too, but what would you say is a a tip for somebody who wants to build a community around a cause or a business that they're working on? Man, there's a lot of tips on building massive communities. When you get into the 10,000, a hundred thousand type communities I've built, it's, it's about becoming the right leader, but also I think you have to be embedded as a participant within your community. I think so many people create a community out of ego because they want to put themselves on a pedestal and act like they're the king of the hill. And then these are the communities that we join and the, the leaders of the community never interact with the, the community. To me, that's not a community. That's more of a fan base. So I've always been different. I've always been interacting within my communities as a useful member, answering questions, helping people, giving advice, creating my own content, just being a part of the active community. Everybody there knows who the leader is, but when you're actually a humble leader and being a part of the community, now they see you as one of them. The other thing I think other people fail at is they basically, you know, they'll use some notoriety or fame to build a community and they want the direct lines of contact just to be between them and the individual person in the community. A strong community leader will try to create the bonds between each and, and each community member, okay? So it's my job to create events, create content, and encourage other people within my communities, regardless of what community is, whether it's entrepreneurship or automotive, I want them to become lifelong friends, okay? So we facilitate that by creating programs and events and things like that. Because I don't want the lines of communication just becoming my mouthpiece to you to hear what I have to say. Although I have the podcast and things like that, it's not about me just broadcasting my message to you because I want my message to broadcast to you, but I also want everybody in the group to broadcast to each other and come out of their keyboard warrior type modes and go hang out, become lifelong friends because I've seen this over and over and over. So those are the two tips. And I say the third major tip for community building is you have to get rid of cancerous people. Okay. When you got assholes and passive aggressive and negative people within your community, you got to get rid of those people immediately. And if you're the type of person that tries to make everybody happy and you want to play nice and you guys all get along, you're not going to be a very good leader because when you act like that with cancerous people, the good people will observe how you handle those people and wondering why the fuck aren't you getting rid of these people in our group? Because when you allow those people to exist in your group, they're going to keep other people from wanting to participate. So you have to take care of those things right away. And guys, when you have 300,000 car guys, and Trent will tell you, that's a lot of ego and a lot of testosterone going and a lot of shit talking and keyboard warrioring. And, you know, but we had guidelines on behavior. And if there was physical threats or people were just getting out of line, we would just ban their accounts. Okay. 
And the value that we were giving them for free was so great that they didn't want to get banned and lose that access. So you had to have a good value proposition to make people actually want to come to your website. And if they lose that, just like people nowadays get banned from Facebook from being assholes, you got to understand that value has got to be better than their you know, option to stay there. So when you have that and you can tell them like, dude, don't do that anymore or you're gonna get ri- we're going to get rid of you. And the other people that are actually good people see how you handle that. They're going to be more willing to participate because they feel like you got their back. So don't start a community just to create one. You got to make sure you're a strong leader, be willing to get rid of negative people, be willing to facilitate the communications and the bonds between each individual member as a group and not just make it about you. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I love that uh, concept. And, uh, you know, that's something I've seen externally, uh, through your current community that you facilitate 365 driven, you know, I see people communicating with each other and broadcasting those message to that message to other people. So they're really are a part of the community. Can you talk a little bit about uh, 365 driven and where that started from and um, how that is planning to go in the future? Well, 365 Driven is my entrepreneurship brand and community and podcast, and it's the, the, the harbor of the books and the content that I create. But it all comes back to me being that community leader, because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. There's a lot of people with different advice. And I would say that building a community is actually my strong suit based on history. I've done this multiple times. I, I think the first community I built was a car club here in the Houston area that was like 150 people. And so that was like the roots of it. Then you go build one of hundreds of thousands, and then you duplicate that, make another hundreds of thousands. And as I alluded to earlier, cars and entrepreneurship have always been my two passions. So I'm basically using the same critical skills and business mindset to build an entrepreneurship community and really get rid of the negative people, encourage people to participate. And these are the things that are going to grow this community because I want 365 Driven to grow into millions of people. And I'm okay with being the leader of that because I've already been in that kind of situation. I think that this is not about ego and things like that because I know that my legacy is going to be able to impact millions of people and their generational legacy by teaching them confidence and business principles that I've learned to myself. So I try to make sure that I teach people that here's the mistakes that I've made and I try to show them the good sides and bad sides of entrepreneurship. I think a lot of people just want to show the highlight reels of everything they're doing it's just not really authentic anymore. And this really in the, in the last three years, Trent, this whole journey of me starting 365 Driven and being launched, I was there from the beginning showing my sucky videos, which I'll never delete because I was learning at that process. And then I shared me going through Toastmasters and learning to become a more effective communicator and a public speaker, then launching the book became a number one bestseller on Amazon. And I have shared that entire writing process along the way. And So I've always been good at teaching people and encouraging people by showing them that I can do it, you can do this. And that's why people are really starting to gravitate around my story and my message, because I'm not just going, here's the awesome result. And don't worry about all the hard work, because I want to show you that I'm going to do something. And I actually came back from my first live event in Utah a week ago. And my takeaway from that is now that that event's done, I'm going to be more focused on writing my second book, which I'll be working on this last quarter of the year, probably launch in January sometime. So when you think about that, you got to make sure you set these goals, take the steps and do them in order because too many people, like I said earlier, are trying to do too many things at once. You know, I, I, I basically, I wrote the book and then while I was writing the book, I was training to become a more effective speaker. And then I became a speaker and started competing in public speaking events. 
And then later my podcast came out and all these were planned. It wasn't like, well, what do I do now? Well, I think I'll write a book. Well, you know, no, I had it all planned out. And most people are doing it the wrong way because they're like, I got to write a book. I got to launch a podcast. I got to launch five businesses. I'll make that a seven businesses because everybody says millionaires have seven streams of income. They don't understand business principles. You got to make sure that you're building something, cash flow it, and then move on to the next project. There's like stepping stones that people like to just cram into one step and then they never become good or proficient at anything. So that's you. You don't need seven streams of income until you build one that's actually doing something for itself and then go build the second one, then the third one. And that's that's something that really impacted me when I heard Ed Milet speak to that is, you know what, the the average millionaire has seven streams of income. But what they do is they focus on that one, solely on that one. And then when they have that set up, then they can diversify. It's not start seven things at one time and then hope they all work because that's that's just going to keep you too scattered. Yeah, even on a smaller scale, dude, you see people doing that with their social media. They're trying to build their personal brand, and I love to see that, but they're on seven different platforms trying to create content on a daily basis, and they're not doing good at any of them. So be more focused, guys. Pick maybe one or two maximum platforms to go dominate, and then start to just fill in the gaps on the other ones. So just be good at something before you try to do too many things. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I love is, you know, you brought this story up before and, um, you know, relating back to the community aspect, when you wrote that first book, you had an idea in your head of, you know, I'm going to write the book, write this book this way. And then you're like, wait, I'm going to throw it out to my community and see what they want. And it was completely different, correct? Absolutely. And that's called product validation, you know, and that's what a lot of people who are new to business send a skip because we put too much, I guess, weight and value on our own ideas because we think, oh, we came up with a great idea for a business or a product and you start patting yourself on the back. And then what happens is you start to reinforce that belief and convince yourself that that's the thing that's missing in the market and nobody else is going to change your mind. You have these kind of ego things that cause a lot of problems, right? So the experienced entrepreneurs will actually roll out an idea to see the engagement or the reaction before they spend a time or a dime is what I say on just going all in on that product. So for me, that was the right idea. The trend was like, okay, I'm going to write this entrepreneurship book. And just like anything, you always get excited about the newest stuff that you've learned or implemented and got results. So here I was, you know, being a business owner 20 years, I've largely forgotten all the early level, base level tactics because you just tend to operate in that mode all the time. And you don't really think twice about those things. So I was like, I'm going to write all this new strategy and things that I've learned in the last five years. It's going to be super awesome. And then, so I go, hey guys, I'm going to write a book about business owners and, and starting companies. What questions would you like answered? And I thought they would start asking me really high level questions, you know, advanced strategy stuff. And really, it was really simple stuff like what's an LLC? How do you get money? When did you come up with a name for your business? How did you start the business and do this? How do you understand where you get money from? How do you get paid? And like just really simple stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected at all. This this is the simple stuff. So rather than being egotistic and go, well, that's all basic stuff. I'm not going to write a book on basic stuff. I'm going to go write the super level high strategy book because I'm super awesome. That's what most people would do. 
I said, you know what, if I can answer these questions that these people are asking at a high level of detail and give them examples and instructions and make sure that all their questions are answered, it's going to be an incredible book that's going to give them a lot of value. So I used their feedback to create the book Side Hustle Millionaire, which became a number one bestseller because I answered their questions. I gave them what they want. So if you're listening to this and you think you've got a product idea or a service idea or a podcast or a book or whatever you want to do, be sure that you're just using your social media or your family and friends to bounce those ideas off of and listen to their feedback without ego and understand that they may be telling you what they actually want because a true entrepreneur will build the product or service that people are asking for, not the product that they think that people will ask for. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that because during this process, you know, we talked before we started recording the, uh, the hustle focused energy product that I have. Um, you know, it was something that was a collaborative effort where, you know, as I'm working on the product, it's like, okay, what do you like about this or dislike about this? What label design do you like A or B? Do you like, you know, all these different things where people were involved in the process and, you know, helped create a better product by involving them in the process. That's, that's the best way to do it because now they have buy-in because they feel like they were part of the project. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one thing that you do to kind of expand your community, um, jumping back to that a little bit is I see a lot of video. Uh, You know, I see a lot of people in your community using video. Is there a specific reason or tactic behind that? I think for videos, it's really the way that's going to go forward for any kind of business or social media marketing or any marketing in general, because we're literally walking around with widescreen televisions in our pocket nowadays. And most people consume their content now, not by reading, but by watching or listening. So podcasting and videos are the two things that people are doing to learn more things or get their information nowadays. And it's never been more accessible. So you have to get good on videos. And I understand that there's a lot of people out there that don't like to put themselves out there and are worried about the fear of criticism and judgment and haters and naysayers. Well, guess what? You will have haters, critics, naysayers, and haters as soon as you start doing something worth noticing. So if you think you're too nice and you don't have any enemies and you're like bragging, like, I don't have any haters. I'm a good person. Like, you know what? It just means you're obscure. It means that nobody cares about what you're doing because as soon as you start to get attention, you will have those. And actually in my group, we encourage people to go find their first haters. We'll say, you know, if you get a first hater making a troll comment on your post, screenshot that, bring it back to the group and we'll celebrate it with you because that means you're finally doing something worth noticing. And when you start to get that different mindset, you're like, well, shit, I'm going to go out there and crush the world and find me some haters because that's the mindset that you got to have. And if you're sitting there going, well, you know, I can just run these static ads and, you know, do things and, you know, screw Tony, I'm making more money than him. I know better. You're going to be behind the eight ball because in the next five years when everybody's doing videos and it's super noisy and you finally get off your ass and decide that you need to do videos, you're going to be left behind because other people will be five years ahead of you and they've already been mastering this game and you're just going to be part of that noise in the background with thousands and thousands and maybe millions of people making static noise videos because you haven't done enough to get ahead of that crowd. So I encourage every single one of you listening to get better at videos. And if you're nervous about that, just practice. You, if you're worried about how you speak, go join Toastmasters and become an effective communicator. Hire a speaking coach. Join some video making groups. Challenge each other. Hold each other accountable because it is super important. And if you want the results that other people don't have, you need to be willing to do what they won't do. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's powerful because uh, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't willing to get off the couch and, you know, make a video or, you know, improve their, their body and their mind and all these things that, uh, you know, to people like you and I, it's like, oh yeah, of course we're going to do that. But then you have to even go beyond that of, you know, what is something Tony's not willing to do, um, that, you know, I can separate myself from him with, but I, I don't know if there is anything out there, but <laughs> I well, think yeah, it's, uh, it's simple, dude. If whatever industry you want to get into, observe who you perceive as the leaders of that industry and ask yourself, what are they doing? It's real simple, right? It's just basically you're doing some marketing intel. What are they doing? Can I do that? Honestly, can I do that? Answer is usually probably yes, but are you willing to do that? And answer is usually probably no. So you have to ask yourself, if the leaders of the industry are doing this, and I know it's within my capabilities. I may not be as good at it right now, but I know that's within my capabilities. I could get better and I could improve to do that. Then why aren't you doing it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're at a point now where you've had a lot of successes, a lot of wins. What would you say in starting your own side hustle? What was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I would say I never had a big failure with side businesses, largely by design of that type of business model. Because if you've got a job and it's paying your bills, you're really starting a business with a parachute, okay? You're not risking at all. You're not really losing anything. You may lose a couple thousand dollars here or there, but it's nothing that you're going to go, oh my God, I'm like going to chapter you know, 11 or 7 or what a fuck bankruptcy is nowadays. You're not losing anything. So, a lot of people are just afraid to start because they're so focused on, I might lose a couple thousand dollars instead of thinking I could go earn a couple million dollars. If you start doing more of focusing on the potential winning versus the potential losing, I think more people will start to take action. But that's human nature to hold on to a death grip with the things that we currently have. And we get really infuriated when people take things away from us or steal from us or you know, make us lose something, but we're not willing to put that same amount of energy or commitment or passion or love into going to creating something of the same value. So when you think about that, it's really a simple story like I like to share. Let's say that you had your wallet sitting on your desk or something like that, and you walked away for a few minutes and you came back and you saw that your wallet was open and $100 was, was missing. Most people listening to this maybe have experienced something similar to that, and they go, you know what, they, you feel the rage you feel the energy and you walk around and you're like, Hey, has anybody seen like who's around my desk and you know, missing a hundred dollars. Did you take it? Did you take it? Did you take it? And you're going to the security guys and asking if they got any camera footage to see who's got your hundred dollars. And you're going around and you're just feeling this negative energy and you're putting on a lot of negative energy and you're just spending all this time and you probably waste three hours and you'll go create a Facebook post about someone stealing your hundred dollars. Then you're just being all outraged and everybody's like, yeah, man, that sucks. You lost hundred dollars. I hate thieves. They should all die in a fire. You know, it's basically that's the kind of energy you would expend for that hundred dollars that somebody took from you. But here's the thing: most of you, most of you, would never put even a tenth of that same amount of energy, passion, love into going to create a hundred dollars. Wow, that was that was awesome. You know that I totally can relate to that because you know you see that put out there all the time of. Um, you know, that energy expelled towards these, you know, things that, you know, obviously are a hundred dollars is a hundred dollars, but at the same time, 
people aren't willing to put that effort, same effort in. Fortunately for me, working from home, if there's a hundred dollars from stolen from my wallet, there's, it's usually one of my kids that has <laughs> come down here and, you know, right. just rifled around with things. So it's the uh, wife or kids, but you know, yeah. you, can't even, you can't get that negative with them, right? You're right. <laughs> but if it's some random dude taking it now, now it's a whole different Steve, you know, Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> Well, I, you know what, that was, that was awesome. You know, just that whole story of how you related it. Um, but one thing you said that really hit me is, you know, you think about what you're going to lose and, you know, that is something that I've been a victim of in my own mentality of, you know, I've worked, I'm not very handy, but, um, you know, I have a project at my house and it's like, I've got a $50 budget for this, but if I mess it up, it's going to cost me $200. I'm just not going to do it. Right. But when I'm now my main source of income is flipping houses and it's like, okay, if I can tackle this, I can save $200 and have $200 more pocketed. If I complete this task, I'm going to go for it. Like it's a completely different mentality. And it's, I've been on both sides of the equation and now it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I want to pocket that money. I want to save that, that difference. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. What you've explained right there really simply is that you've learned confidence through execution. So you didn't have the confidence early on because you hadn't done it. There was an unknown you could lose, but now you've done enough things where you go, you know what? It's within my skill set. Maybe I haven't done it. It's within my skill abilities or skill set. So you've got confidence now and you're willing to try. That's the key. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, it's an amazing what you can accomplish, uh, you know, no matter what the task is. You know, I just yesterday recently completed, uh, you know, phase one of 75 hard. And it's just, you know, I thought 75 hard was difficult and to fit everything in. And then it's like phase one adds all these other things on top of it. And it's like, man, I can't believe I was able to fit all these things in. And it's just a, a matter of going out, doing it, having the confidence, the, the ability to um, realize that you can tackle these things that you think are hard and it just gets easier from there. And you can, you know, expand what you're capable of the more that you actually do. You know, the problem I have with 75 hard, we, we both love Andy Frisella to death. And I think right. it's an incredible program for it creating some good habits in your life, healthy habits and the mindset that's going to go with that. So when you think about it, those, the positives definitely outweigh the negatives, but I see a lot of negatives about it because most people focus on the finish line. Okay. Mm-hmm. 75 days, they got the little scorecard, they're sharing it on Instagram, they're doing the cross throughs and their scorecard. How many people have we seen? Probably hundreds of people make it through that and they're in the best shape of their lives and they've got these great habits and everything's going great. And then you see them two months later and they're obese again. And you're thinking, what the hell happened, man? Didn't you like get some stronger mindset and some discipline during that? Well, yeah, you know, and, and or they take like a month off break between like the, the 75 hard and the phase one. It's like, what was the purpose of that? Why didn't you just go straight into it? Because here's the thing is too many people, whether that's your fitness journey or your business, you're focused on the finish line and you under, understand that in an actual race, you're a car guy, I'm a car guy. We, you know, played sports, ran track, you don't accelerate to the finish line. You accelerate through the finish line. So when you start thinking of it that way, 
And rather than focusing on 75 days, you need to be thinking about this is the first 75 days. And the habits and the discipline that I'm going to gain in this first 75 days should carry on far past that because everybody is thinking in this scarcity mindset like, oh my God, there's the finish line, only 10 days to go and I'll be 75 hard. And they're so focused on that finish line that they give up and they relax and they just go back to their old ways beyond 75. That's the problem, okay? You need to be thinking about this is the first thing that's going to change the rest of your life. So create that discipline during that 75 days and carry it forward and quit thinking about the finish line. The other thing I think a lot of people do is they, they create these posts of trying to get a lot of sympathy for failing, okay? They use 75 hard as almost like a stage to fail. And they go make their post in our group and, oh, guys, I made it to day 43 and I forgot to take a photo or I didn't drink enough water and boo-hoo and you know what? Shut the fuck up and just get your shit done and just keep going. Start over because it ain't about the 75 days again. It's about getting past that finish line. So consider this is just your first 75, but carry it forward, guys. Quit focusing on the finish line and relaxing at that finish line. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love the way you related that. You accelerate through the finish line. Yeah, right. absolutely. I, I agree with that. So what would you say, you know, the, the definition of the word hustle has kind of changed over the years. What would you say is your pers personal definition of the word hustle? I mean, I don't believe in the 24-7 hustle and grind. I did that during college years. I mean, seven years of doing that, it was terrible. It was bad on my mental health. It was physically taxing. I, 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 was, I remember being depressed at some times of that. I remember even having more gray hair in my 20s because I was so sleep deprived eating double cheeseburgers, 99 cent from McDonald's because I couldn't afford anything else and just had a really bad lifestyle around that. And I remember the 1980s when people thought about, well, sleeping is for the week. You know, that was the whole like mantra that came out in 1980s. And so being raised in that, it's like, that, is that really what I have to do is be an entrepreneur? But now I realize it's all a bunch of bullshit. Okay. Because sleep is important. And I think people don't value it enough and they think that it's a, it's a badge of honor to say like, well, I work 23 hours a day and I take a nap. It's like, no, you're a dumbass is what you are because your body is not going to be performing at its best level physically or mentally if you're not getting enough rest. So guard your sleep, schedule it just like you do anything else that you should be scheduling for your daily day and understand that once you have your rest, you're going to be optimized to be able to perform at a high level during those times that you're awake. So for an example, a lot of times we think about, you know, napping and stuff like that. Some people are like, well, you know, napping is for the lazy people and that's stupid because that's another fallacy that's created by corporate world where you have to be at your desk from eight to five. And obviously you can't take a nap at work unless you work for a progressive company like Google or one of the other tech giants that have figured out napping increases productivity. So here's the scenario that I used to play out because I used to carry that mindset of, well, taking a nap is like for weak people and like that's laziness. That's the thing that we're led to believe by our parents and things. So here it is about like two or three in the afternoon. I might be feel like I'm fading. You know, I was like mentally not there. I'll read something and I don't even remember what I just read. So rather than fight that for the next three hours, I'll go take a nap for 30 to 45 minutes, setting an alarm. Don't go too long because it'll make you groggy. And if I can go sleep for 30 to 45 minutes, I can wake up recharged and get another two hours of productivity on the back end, which would have otherwise been acting like a zombie. So that's what these big corporations do is you go in these nap rooms that they create 20 to 45 minutes is ideal. They set an alarm. They have these little sleep pods in some of these places. 
because they know that they can recharge your mind and physically get you another high productive two to three hours in the back end just by sacrificing 30 to 45 minutes. So think about your sleep and make sure that you're doing things that listen to your body. Okay. Don't try to fight yourself. Yeah, no, that's, that's good advice. You know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, studies that have come out now that show how important sleep really is. And, you know, mm-hmm. to get six, seven, eight hours, I mean, you, the days of running on a couple hours of sleep uh, have shown that that is more of a detriment rather than a benefit for your business. Yeah. Well, anybody's like bragging about hustling because they aren't sleeping. I just kind of look at them as like an idiot nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand that. Well, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about time here and I want to be respectful of your time. So I don't want to uh, go on too much longer. I want to ask you one more question after this. But before I do that, where's the best place for people to find more information about you and connect with you? My website is 365driven.com and you'll find links there to all my social medias, the entrepreneurship group we talked about and my best selling book. Very cool. So... Final question I want to ask you, personal or business, what is it that excites you about the future? I think I'm finally starting to see because of COVID that people can build businesses that are virtual and people can work virtually. And I've been saying this for 15 years. There's even old podcasts and posts I've made 10 years ago saying that this is going to happen. It happened in a way that we didn't expect, but what it really has occurred is that it's made people with old-fashioned thinking finally realize that they can run companies in a different manner. For me, working oil and gas, international projects, I always thought it was stupid that I had to go commute one hour from outside of Houston to downtown Houston to go manage my teams who were sitting in England and in France. Okay. So I said, well, why can't I just do this from home if I'm managing my team in another country in a different time zone completely? Why do I have to drive an hour there to do that and then drive an hour home and waste two hours of my life every day? Well, the old-fashioned way of thinking is because, well, I'm the supervisor and I need all my little ducklings in a row and they need to be sitting around with me because I feel super important when I can look out the cubicle farm and all my little ducklings are all there and they're all here and they're all being productive because I'm cracking the whip and I'm just a super awesome boss. That's the mindset of most old-fashioned way of thinking supervisors, the people that I used to have to report to. And he used to frustrate the shit out of me. And I was thinking like, why is it okay that I can actually go to Paris and I can go to London to manage my teams in person and be disappeared from the office for a month and nobody even misses me. But as soon as I'm back in the States, you expect my ass to be sitting in a desk here. So it never made sense. And I was always fighting that and thinking like being like an entrepreneur is like, we have all these connectivities nowadays. Why aren't we using them? And now here we are. We've been forced to do that. And now these idiots that were supervising and leading these things in middle management of the large corporations in America finally realized that they can actually get more productivity about things, letting people work at home. You got like companies like Twitter who've said, we're going to have indefinitely, you can just work from home from now on because they're going to reduce their overhead costs and not have to rent buildings. They're going to be able to just buy laptops and have security clearances put into those things so people can work from their homes. And people are happier and they can work at all hours of the day or all hours of the night. And they don't have to be there eight to five because some people are more productive in the middle of the night. And some people are more productive in the middle of the day. They can do all these things now and they're getting a lot more productivity. They're starting to see the data, the profits, the results come in. And they're finally realizing like you don't have to have all your ducklings in a row because I will never create another business that requires people that I have to show up with hours posted on the doors 
in a physical location. This doesn't suit me anymore. So I'm always thinking about, I want to build businesses that I can manage anywhere in the world at any time in the world. So those are my things that I'm getting away from the corporate side. And I think that that's the way we can do it nowadays. We all literally are connected anywhere in the world at any time now. Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, that is definitely an eye-opening experience we've all experienced over this last year is we can be productive, we can be at home. And you know what, that that is definitely the way of the future. And so I, I appreciate your input on that. And I appreciate your time and, to, you know, being able to take time out of your day to hop on this podcast with me. But you know, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.